Houston, we are go for launch in T-minus 30 seconds. Every day I become a better operator, whatever it is, and it happens. Why? Because I don't take time off. We are green on all engines, sir. I only knew one way, and I knew the right way. Initiating launch countdown. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 3, 2, 1. The Service Rocket Podcast has good liftoff. Welcome to the Service Rocket Podcast, hosted by Victor, the Rocket Man Rancor. Please enjoy the ride. All right, guys, welcome to Service Rocket Podcast, episode number nine. I'm your host, Victor Rancor. Today, I got an exciting guest. I'm stepping out of the HVAC space, stepping out of the plumbing space, stepping into another realm, one of the what's probably the most important part of your business, because without marketing, your phones don't ring. If your phones don't ring, you can't sell shit anyway, so... I got an exciting guest, Zach ROI Williams with ROI Marketing. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you having me here. It's a, it's a complete honor. Yeah. What do you got going on in the back there, man? This guy, you should see if you guys aren't watching this on YouTube, but he's got this these screens in the back here. What is that? It looks like you're in a whole other dimension, man. Yeah, man. This is like, you know, mission, mission control, but I got 665-inch TVs behind me. Uh, some other really cool stuff in front of me, but, uh, this is just, uh, I enjoy putting out good content and people like paying attention to stuff that it looks half-assed good. So look, it looks pretty badass. You're making, you putting me to shame, man. Well, you know, obviously Zach, you know, I, I met you at apex live and, you know, obviously we had a couple conversations and it kind of just jumped off the, off the page. And obviously the first thing that stood out to me is, is your, just kind of your, your enthusiasm towards marketing your enthusiasm towards helping people. So we'll jump a little bit into that, but you know, let's kind of start, you said you've been in marketing, the marketing game now for 16 years. How did you kind of get your feet into it to, to even start this, this journey? Yeah, no. So great question. Uh, and I actually kind of got thrown into it. I actually ultimately went to school and just decided to pick up a part-time job to work my way through school like most people do. And in that, I, uh, they found out that I was like good at graphic design and photography and things of that nature. So in the specific organization I was with, they had a franchise. We owned 13 of those franchises, two of which were in the top producing uh, and all of the ones out of the United States. Well, they ended up having a someone that was in the family that graduated Ole Miss with a marketing degree. So they just kind of gifted this guy this position as the marketing coordinator for all these franchises. So it was a big shoes to fill. And they came in and made me the marketing assistant because they're like, oh, dude, this guy can make graphics. That's great, right? He'd be a yeah. great asset. Meanwhile, yeah. here I am, this 19-year-old kid. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Well, the conversation slowly went from, all right, cool, make this graphic for us or make this flyer. And you got to imagine, this is 16 years ago. 16 years yeah. ago, marketing was, I would have told you to put a fishbowl on your counter and collect business cards one by one and we'll take them out and we'll email all these people one by one. And guess what? It worked, you know? So yeah, things have changed. Well, through that process of making these graphics and flyers and all this cool stuff, uh, it, the conversation went from like, Hey, put this, this, and this on the flyer to, all right, cool. Make a flyer. I'm like, all right, what would you like on it? They're like, I don't know, figure it out. And I'm like, Oh, what? I'm 19 <laughs> years old, bro. Like this is a multi-million dollar company and I don't know what I'm doing. So that's when the other side of my brain started working, not just the creative side. And that's when I really found out that I loved this is going to sound pretty strange, but for those of you that have like read 48 laws of power and um, never split the difference books like that is like, I learned that I could control people by putting words on a graphic. And it was really cool to me to see how I could come up with these concepts. Not all of them worked, but I could come up with these concepts and literally see income come into the business. So anyways, real quick, it went from, oh uh, yeah, just put whatever you want on it to where I was coming up with these strategies. Here I am at this 19-year-old kid coming up with these really awesome strategies. So much to this extent that I ended up sitting in one of the board meetings for all 13 locations. Again, a multi-million dollar chain organization. And um, the board was actually questioning this CMO on some of these strategies. And now he couldn't answer them because these were my ideas that he was then going to sell to the board as his own and obviously they're not dumb they were able to pick up on it pretty quickly as i started answering these questions within detail about how the strategy was supposed to operate and um within about two weeks he was out and i was now the new cmo for 13 different locations and that's where it all started at 19 years old 
at 19 years old. And what's funny is I ended up making more money as my side hustle than what I was actually going to college to learn how to do. What were you going to college for? So I was just going uh, for graphic design. Originally, I thought I wanted to go for photography. I really enjoyed that creative eye. Uh, and then it's funny, going through my senior year in high school, I started interning with a bunch of photographers, and uh, they all hated their life. And I was like, yep, not signing up to do this for the rest of my life. And so I just found something that I thought would go run parallel with it. You don't like being broke all the time? Man, listen, bro. Snobby <laughs> kids, bridezillas. I was like, nah, I'm out. Nah, fuck that. So you're, you're, so you go, and obviously this is, you know, important too, because you were able to make that decision, right? Cause you could have stuck, you know, stuck in and your parents are probably saying, Hey, did you go continue to go to college? Did you go graduate? Or do you at that point just say, Hey, I'm going to pivot to this. What, what was that? Was that a uh, situation like? Man, so it's a good question. I did not finish out a four-year degree. I just went ahead and got my little, my associate's degrees because I was right there. I only had one more semester. I was like, let me get this piece of paper and then uh, roll on. But, dude, I've never looked back. And, honestly, I joke about this all the time. Uh, no one. I've had some pretty prestigious uh, positions at some pretty badass companies, and not a single person's asked me for that piece of paper. It's all about what I can do and what I know, not what something on a piece of paper on a wall says. Which, you know, which is important, right? Because a lot of these listeners, right, they were in the same boat. Like a lot of these guys, now they're they're in the home service space. And and before they they might have been going to college and doing all these things. And maybe their friends did. You know, for me, I got – the funny thing is a lot of my friends that went to college are now working for me. And they're trying to get into the trades, which is kind of crazy to think. But mm -hmm. to be 19 and be able to find something that you got passion for and then be able to turn that into a job is, is pretty badass in itself because most people don't ever get to do what they want for a living. And it sounds like you found it pretty early. So that's pretty sick. Yeah, man, I'm definitely lucky. Even now when people ask me about, quote, unquote, my job or this or that, I tell people that I just have a hobby that pays me really well. Like I really do love what I do. So you're 19, you're working at your, obviously you're, you're working at a big, a big corporation. What was that like? Like, obviously you sit in a board meeting, you're just a kid. Um, you're a kid in a meeting. How, how was that the environment? Like, you know, was there a lot of kickback, you know, pushback as you guys were, as you guys were growing and, and things like that? Cause I know corporate culture is a whole different beast than going in and going marketing for a small time organization. If you got multiple locations, I mean, you got to probably run all your shit through different levels of people. How did you finally get them to, to say, okay, Hey, look, we trust this guy. Uh, how long did it take? Did they start trusting you right away? Or did you, you kind of had to earn it over the next couple of years? So great question. So a lot of the people that we ended up interacting with, had already seen the results I was producing. They just didn't have a face to go with it because what was going on is shit rolls uphill. At this case is my, my CMO at the time was coming to me, you know, bitching about me like, yo, we need to get results up at this location, this location, this location. And technically my, uh, my position at the time was um, the marketing um, assistant. So I was doing all the quote unquote bitch work. But when I say doing the bitch work, really, I was coming up with all the strategies and putting an actual like program in place to present it. So when he would then go and turn those results over, he looked like the hero. And so there was yeah. definitely a very strange sequence of events that happened in that board meeting when they saw the light switch change, where they realized it was not him and it was me behind everything. So at that point, they kind of did not have an ability to ignore it. However, yeah. I will say when I moved past there and proceeded in my career um, with some of these uh, rather large companies, as I would introduce myself or as I would present programs and projects, I was doing most of this through email at the time versus yeah. – they saw a level of experience. They saw a level of professionalism come through those emails. And I would assume most of them in an educated mindset would understand this makes sense. Right. Versus when I would come into the meeting here, I am, like you said, a young tattooed guy. You can imagine the pushback I got at that point, which then had me correcting a few people that signed my checks of saying like, Look, dude, you are, you already backed it, but now you just think because of my image, my age, and all this, that I don't have the experience or the knowledge that I do. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Obviously, you know, the new generation, right? Almost everybody has tattoos, right? But you got tattoos. People, the people that can't see you on, you know, obviously on the podcast, you got tattoos on your hands, you got tattoos on your arms. 
on your neck. I mean, how has that, how was that, you know, obviously, like you said, it, it, when they first see you, how has that changed over the last 16, you know, 16 years or, you know, however long since you started getting the tattoos? I feel like now, you know, it's not as, it's not as uh, taboo, I guess, to have that. But back then it was. Oh, dude. So back then it was insane. So the, the reason you see me who I am today, and it's funny, this might be actually really cool for people that are listening now, just because times have changed so much is um, I was actually working for that organization when I first got, uh, for those of you that are listening, you're not going to be able to see it, but on my inner bicep, I have a little like trident um, and it barely hung out the sleeve of my collared shirt that I had to wear at that particular job. I mean, we're talking barely, maybe a half of an inch. They saw it and they're like, all right, you got to wear long sleeves from now on. And I made a very conscious decision of saying, you know what? I'm only here eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, and there for a little bit, Monday through Thursday, working four tens. And I was like, you know what? Like, who am I trying to be right now? I've got a, I've got a decision to make on, do I want to be happy with myself all the rest of the time that I'm not clocked in or be someone else's little bitch right now for eight hours a day, Monday through Friday? So literally, no bullshit. I can, I got the receipts to prove it. Literally the next week came back with my whole sleeve outlined. I was like, you know what? I'm going all in on this. And then, uh, shortly, uh, I'll say shortly, probably four or five years after I was like, you know what? We're taking them to the knuckles. We're doing the neck. You know, I'm going to let my experiences, uh, speak for itself. Yeah. And in the, in the, obviously in the home service space, you know, we get judged within the first 10 seconds of, of knocking on a door. Right. And I still remember the company I started with, like they were super anti-tattoo, super anti pretty much anything that wasn't, you know, Boy Scout looking kid, you know, <laughs> and even and I still remember because like they wouldn't like we the guys that had, I had tattoos, but I had to wear fucking long sleeves all summer long. Right. So I'm sweating in attic, sweating, sweating all the time because I had to wear long sleeves. So if I rolled them up, if they saw the tattoo a little bit. They would freak out on me. And then now this is, you know, that's when I started about seven years ago. I still remember the, I think it was like my second day ever working in the industry. I showed up late to work, which I already thought I was going to get fired, but I showed up with a shirt with about, about, the, about up to here as far as the same length and all my tattoos are out. This is like an all company meeting and the owner's super, he's from Kentucky. He's super old school. He looks at me, just looks at me in fucking disgust. And I'm just like, oh fuck, I'm getting fired today for sure. And obviously they didn't fire me or anything like that. But after that, they'd never, they would, if they saw anybody, a trainee in, with tattoos out or anything like that, they fired them immediately going forward. So they changed the process. They were no longer allowed to wear t-shirts. They had to wear long sleeve shirts that they had tattoos from that day forward. And I still remember how fucked up it felt. But now, you know, obviously running my own business, like I don't, I have plenty of guys. I have ta they have tattoos on their arms. They have tattoos on their neck. It's just part of culture now, and it's one of those things. It's like you're really going to judge somebody based on their tattoos rather than their skill set. Right. And that was so that was so common back in the day. Like they would they would literally they would disqualify you the second they saw it. So, you know, I think it's pretty badass that you took the leap and did that, and it shows that you got the balls, right? So, you know, that's part of being a business owner now. So obviously, you got to have big ass balls to own a business, and it's obviously Oof. with everything going on in the in the world right now. So you went from that first company, you started working for some other big, you know, bigger organizations. What kind of roles and titles were you working at with them? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great question. So uh, I kind of kept teeter-tottering. I was always at the top of the marketing spectrum, whether that was CMO, chief of marketing, uh, marketing manager. There was one, uh, my next step there was for Hard Rock Cafe, uh, where I was still an assistant, but then took that role over. And then simultaneously as accepting that role, I actually went ahead and, and moved um, laterally, I guess you would say, into a position for Harley Davidson. It was just kind of, man, it was just one of those uh, opportunities I couldn't pass up to do something that two things that I enjoyed and loved. But um, moving forward there again, I've always, if not been the youngest person on that level, um, that staff level, but at least looked it. And then again, Man, I am a creative person, right? I am, that's the type of person I am. That's the type of person you want in my role. And so there had been, um, I'm going to call this, uh, you know, coaching up some coaching moments where I had to coach up to my superiors and let them know, look, I understand your thoughts. I understand your concerns, but you have to understand that the entire demographic that you are telling me you want to attract is me. It's not you. It's not pleated pants. Yeah. It's not pin protectors in your shirts, bro. Like, I'm sorry. So either you want to make a good business decision 
or do you want to sit there and continue living in the past? And there was a few conversations where, um, you know, I had to get real with some of my superiors, but at the end of the day, it was all done out of respect and it was all done for the greater good of the company. Well, and I think that's commonplace even now, like obviously in home service businesses, whether it's roofing, plumbing, heating and air, there's, there's the old school guy, right? And the old school guy cannot figure out why he started to get his ass kicked, right? Like how right. are people able to come into my space that I've been here for 30 fucking years and I know exactly what to do. And all of a sudden this, you know, someone like me, right? A 30 year old kid comes in and takes fucking market share in your backyard, like right. overnight. How does that happen? And it, it comes down to evolving, right? So marketing evolves, businesses evolve, things evolve over time and learning how to embrace it, right? Because a lot of times we want to fight it. We want to fight change. No, this is how we do business, how we've always done business. And you have to be able to adapt. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, if you're listening to this and you guys have a business and you can't figure out why you're not growing, it's probably because you're not adapting. You're still trying to do the shit that they were doing 10 years ago. And you're trying to do shit that I was doing 10 years ago. It's a whole different world now. Oh. And Dude, I got a, a lot of people don't realize. Go ahead. I got a good example for that. So one of my clients, they own a tree trimming company. Um, so, sim you know, similar industry. And uh, my, my buddy is a good personal friend of mine is taking the company over from his dad. And he's literally paying out of pocket for our marketing expenses, just to quote unquote, prove to his father that digital marketing works. And the thing that's so comical to me is they uh, are grandfathered in, and you're not going to, you're not going to believe this. This is where his granddad or his dad comes from. His dad has been around for so long and has been grandfathered. His price has been grandfathered in. He has a little coupon that goes on the back of everyone's um, utility bill in the entire city for $100 a month. And that's the what extent the of their marketing. That's the extent of their marketing. And they've been around for right. so long. So anyways, it's that transition of like, look, dude, I get it works. And I don't really know when in the last however long someone's called up and be like, man, I saw your, uh, your ad in the back of the utility bill that never gets opened anymore. And uh, I need you to come, you know, cut this tree down for a 10 grand. But anyways, yeah. funny story. <laughs> Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, but it's working for him, right? Like, and that's, it's all being content. And I think that's one of the things that I, you know, I talk about often is, is not being content, not being okay with just doing what you're doing year after year. Like I want massive growth. Like we're, you know, people are our age, right? We don't want to fucking grow 10% a year. But like we want to grow a hundred percent, 150%, 200% a year. And we want to get there faster. And I think that's something that, you know, that's why, you know, created my name, the service rocket, right? Cause we're not trying to we're not trying to do this for fucking 20 years. Our generation wants to do this for as hard as we can for a short period of time, make as much money and capitalize that thing and get out. We want to go enjoy our lives. And I think a lot of these guys that have been doing it for a long time, they're okay with that what they're already doing every year in a year out. They're okay with it. They're they're going through the motions and they're not willing to step out of their comfort zone and do things that are needed. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, because there's some people that are going to be there to listen and they get to reap the rewards. Uh, but it's like that saying, you know, you're never going to get to where you want to go being the person you are right now. Like you're always going to have to push that limit. And I'll tell you, too, just from my experiences, people ask me all the time. In fact, I, I got it at Apex Live. You know, what's the difference between us and them? Re re referring to private sector companies, you know zero to five million zero to ten million annually versus some of these fortune 500 fortune 100 companies and the asshole answer just to get their attention is i say budget and of course they're like well no shit you know and i was like all right i've had the honor and the opportunity of working with multi-million dollar a month marketing budgets when you force all that water into a pipe when there's a leak it's much easier to see it when you have hundreds of thousands of dollars leaking out of it versus you're trying to spend a thousand bucks a month. you got a leak and you can't notice it because the water's coming out and draining all the way down the, you know, the pipe. And now you don't know where it's coming from. So this gave me the opportunity to start noticing where some of these mess ups come in and notice them much quicker than when you're dealing with a smaller budget. So when I come in and tell you like, Hey, Harley Davidson understands that if they want to do a hundred million dollars in sales a month, that they need to be spending, you know, $60 million a month 
in marketing because it's all about, you know, for, for example, the more hands you shake, the more money you make, right? It's, they understand that there's power in numbers versus everyone else is like, oh, well, I'm not here to like, to, to waste my money. It's not about wasting money. It's about being able to split test the market, see what makes sense. I mean, shit, dude, you start looking at p- businesses like Coca-Cola and, and Nike, there's no call to actions. They're putting subliminal messages. In. Dude, it's insane. The psychology that these guys put into play. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of guys are so scared to spend on marketing like, Oh, I, I want to grow, but I don't want to spend any fucking money. And I'm like, well, that's counterintuitive, big dog. Like the right. guys that are growing, the guys that are doing stuff are spending the money. But the thing is what they're doing rather what these guys, they'll spend the money and it doesn't work. They'll just fucking give up. Right. If you really want to win, you have to try it, right. Measure it, track it, see if it fucking works. And if it works, double down on it. And if it doesn't work, you got to pivot immediately. You can't just go in and say, I tried that and it failed. So I'm not doing any more marketing again. Like, duh, fucking dummy. Like you got to everybody as everybody's ever been any good. Like they're, they're, they're trying all like, I try so many different marketing sources. It's insane. Like if you guys saw my marketing budget and my marketing plan and all these things that I'm spending on, even my marketing girls, like we're doing all this. I'm like, yeah, let's fucking do it. And then if it doesn't, you know, this guy told me this works, let's try it and let's see if it works. If it works, then awesome. If it doesn't work, then we fucking take it out back and shoot it. But (laughs) we're, we're, we're going to try it. And uh, you know, I try everything and and obviously I've tried, you know, it's just like anything else in life. You want to try it at least once. And if it's not good, then you move on. And I think that's been the key to our success is that we're not scared to gamble it, right? right? You shouldn't be scared to gamble your money on marketing if you have your business processes and everything else in place because all the other stuff will work itself out. Now, if your business processes are all fucked up and then you say, I'm going to go spend 100 grand on marketing tomorrow, well, that 100 grand is going to be fucking burnt because you don't know what you're doing on the back end. But if you got everything else in place and all you got to do is put a little fucking fuel on that fire, well, then you got to start spending on marketing and, and try it. It's a shotgun effect, figure out which one works and, and work that way. 100%. So, so now you work for these big organizations. How the hell did you go from working from, you know, working for these guys, working for Harley to getting into where you're at now? So you're, you're mostly in roofing and solar, correct? Yeah. So most of our, so we've got basically two branches. One's more in the investment space. So we've got all these different, you know, passive investments, passive income, automations, things like that. That's kind of, we fell into that niche. And then our chosen niche was the roofing and solar. Um, We had just a bunch of people asking us for help there. And we ended up, funny story, we actually developed, I'm just going to say this on this channel because I think it's hilarious. So we ended up developing this whole program, spent tens of thousands of dollars and and several, several months developing this program for realtors only to realize that we fucking hate working with realtors. Um, You give a realtor, dude, you give a realtor like $200,000, $300,000 a year and you can't tell them shit. I could literally be like, look, come in, put this system in place, hire these three people and we'll take you to 1.5 million next year. And they don't want to hear it. Right. It's like, all right, cool. We'll enjoy working 90 hours a week for 200 grand. Anyways. Um, so we shelved that project for about a year and then come through, uh, you know, the COVID, the scandemic, whatever you want to call it. And, um, we ended up having our friends that branch off started their own roofing and solar companies. And we were like, Holy crap, dude, like this program is just tweak a few things and it's going to be perfect for you guys. We're missing one piece of puzzle, which was the data part, uh, which was going to lead me to one of my points is there's two ways to market your company successfully. Either you buy the data first and then you market to that data or you market your company first, build the data and then remarket back to that data. It's all about marketing and data. Um, So anyways, we found the data source that was going to apply to the roofing and solar outside of what we had for the realtors. We plugged and play and we started off to the races. And um, we actually call it virtual door knocking because yes, you have your real door knocking, but no one wants to, you know, be out there in the Texas 110 degree heat, the, you know, Las Vegas heat, even down here in Louisiana, no one wants to be out there if you don't have to be. So we found a way to not only, and look, I'm a marketing guy. Y'all heard me at the beginning of this, say that we used to put glass bowls on counters and collect business cards one by one that used to work. Right. So I'm all about, if it works, don't quit. If it actually produces an ROI, let it roll because there's other uh, demographics that are going to connect with your current customers. That's going to increase your lifetime value much, much more than what you actually think, especially if you're not tracking your data. But anyways, when we talk about that aspect 
keep doing what you're doing. Let us add to it because at the end of the day, I don't care who you are, about 10%, 5 to 10% of the people that you interact with on a first first time is actually going to have the balls to actually do business with you immediately. Most other people are going to have to do a little bit of research and check up and make sure you are who you are, or they're going to need your services, just not right now. And a lot of door knockers get discouraged from that first no rather than realizing that we got to nurture that relationship and they might need us six months from now. They might need us six weeks from now. And it's the same thing in my industry, right? So, you know, person calls us out to repair their air conditioner or they call us out for a tune up on their AC system. And we go out there for the first time. And obviously most of the time, probably about 75% of the time, probably even more than that, probably closer to 85% of the time, we're not leaving there with a big ticket, right? We're leaving there with a membership. For us, we try to sell memberships because then we can retarget that customer. We can go out there for more tune-ups and keep getting in front of the customer, right? But one of the things I've seen, like, and I, I get it all the time, like these companies, they come to me and they're like, oh, I can't get my fucking phones to ring. I can't do this. I can't do I'm like, okay, well, have you called your other customers that you've already done business with? Well, no. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? Like, those are people, those are, you went out there. That's now your customer. You need to stay in front of that customer constantly. You need to be sending them mailers. You need to be calling them, offering them tune ups, offering them all these things. Because guess what? They might not have bought to, you know, you know, six months ago, but they, there's an opportunity now that they already trust you enough. You've already been in their house multiple times and you come back in. But I think that's one of the biggest things. It doesn't matter what space you're in, is retargeting that database. So, how have you been able to reactivate those databases? Is that through the, so- the software that you have? Yeah. So awesome question. So um, oh, there was actually one of the Ivy League schools ran a, a, a program and they call it eight by eight. And this is the foundation of what we use because this is kind of our foot in the door. And they basically, this was in the real estate industry, but they uh, out in Southern, Southern California, they went ahead and they interviewed 200 homeowners and they asked them, who is your local uh, realtor? And there was no congruency. Everyone had, oh, it was the guy on the billboard at the end of the street. Oh, my cousin. Or, oh, it's who sold my house. Like, there was no congruency. So, Harvard uh, is who ran this test. They actually went out and they created a fake persona. It was a fake stock image of a guy, a fake logo, fake business name, fake everything. And they ran what's called an 8 by 8 program. And they sent them one mailer a week for eight weeks straight. They went back and resurveyed. All 200 homeowners, 65% after being asked a second time, who is your local realtor, chose the fake persona, right? So this goes to show that it's subconscious and conscious decisions when you start asking people certain things. We took this exact strategy uh, and then applied data behind it and then digital on top of it. So now... For roofing and solar, and there's other service industries that we can provide this for, but I'm going to use, uh, let's say, solar, for example. I can come into a neighborhood, and we have an entire strategy that's planned for, for the co- clients that you're about to service. We come in. All right, we're looking for homeowners that have a household medium income of $180,000 or more, uh, with a house of 3,500 square foot or larger, that own a pool, that own a Tesla. Now we're going to run this campaign to the community that you're going to be in. And instead of fighting over and saying, hey, Baton Rouge, we're your number one solar contractor. We come in and say, hey, Sherwood Forest, we are your local solar specialist. We're actually going to be on your street at the Williams house. You know, the one with the orange, the one with the orange shutters. We're actually going to be there this week. So if you don't mind, if you see our cars in the way, you'll see our trucks, you'll recognize our branding. Don't mind us, this, that, whatever. We have a whole strategy for our eight by eight where it introduces who we are, lets them know we're going to be in the area, lets them know we're a safe company to work for, that we're, we're locally owned, we're family owned, we're veteran owned, whatever the case is. We give them some touch points to learn to trust us, learn that they're going to see us. Then what we do is we start removing this um, this concept of having to ask someone to go out of their way. One of the biggest things is people don't want to ask you guys to come out for a free maintenance or a free this because they're worried that once you get there and find the issue, that they're not going to be able to afford it. So they don't want you to have to get in your truck, drive out you know, across town, get out in this heat just for you to be able to say no. We're saying, hey, look, we're actually two houses down. It's totally fine if we just come make sure that it's okay for you. 
So we're establishing this and removing that pain point of them thinking they're inconveniencing you saying, Hey, we're already there, dude. It's totally fine. We'll we'll jump right on in. Um, And then we retarget all of this on the digital side of things. So we're actually running Google PPC. We're running Google SEO. We're doing um, social media retargeting. We're also doing SMS and email campaigns for the ones that actually interact with our direct mailers. So now in an eight week period, we're touching people between 65 and 85 times within an eight week period. Wow. And, and obviously what does that do that to the subconscious, right? So even if they've never done business with you, they feel like they've already done business with you. Dude, they already feel like it. And then, so to add to that, as these emails or as these postcards go out and all of our retargeting goes out, we can actually track when these mailers were delivered via USPS tracking. But not only that, we have specific calls to actions on each one of the postcards. So if they were to scan that QR code, I can actually track that, that action that action can kick off another sequence of events in your CRM system. So we start talking to them specifically based how they interact with us. And what that does is that gives us additional opportunities to speak to them in different lights. And once they start doing that, we can actually open up the opportunities to SMS and, and, and mail them. And what we're doing is we're just constantly finding pain points, removing those pain points. So at the end of the day, they literally have to say yes to you. But what's cool about those sequences of events happening is we can change the messaging on the fly. So say, for example, week one goes out and we talk about the Williamses on the corner with the orange uh, with the orange shutters, but we close another deal on the same street before the next postcard goes out. Now we get to add their imagery to that too and say, hey, not only are we going to be doing service in the Williamses, but now we got the Joneses too. Now we're hitting on peer pressure. We're removing some of that fear factor like, well, if the Williamses and the Joneses trust them, I can trust them because I trust the Williamses or I trust the Joneses. So, you know, this sounds great. No, like what's the cost? How much is something like this? Obviously, you know, if you just want to target specific neighborhoods, but I would imagine if you're trying to do it like a larger demographic, I mean, it sounds like it would, it would add up pretty quickly. Um, how are you guys able to, you know, obviously mitigate costs on that because, you know, that sending mailers ain't cheap sending out obviously campaigns, PPC campaigns, all that stuff's not cheap. So how do you guys mitigate that? So you're going to really appreciate this, especially I can't remember if this conversation was on air or off air about your goals uh, by next year. Um, But essentially, so I'm marketing and sales background. So I love eating what I kill. Right. So we developed a program. Uh, It is a 12 month commitment but only six months of that is financial. So what I mean by that is months one through months six is $10,000. That covers all your PPC, that covers your direct mailers, that covers everything. What we do though, is going back to testing, we split test three sub markets. And what I call a sub market is one of your clients that you're going to be servicing. So we will actually split test three sub markets, 25 neighbors each. So that's 75 people that we're going to be hitting over a two month period that covers all your uh, mailers, all your PPC, all your SEO, all your direct mailing, SMS, and emails covers absolutely everything. Month seven through 12, you're still committed with us because again, this is a long play for us, but we only make what we eat. It's an 80, 20 profit split. You basically just pay us like most people would pay their um, sales reps. We come in moving forward months 12 on. If you decide to move with us, it's going to go up or down by 5%. Either we move in and provide our own closers so that we actually deal with your POC or whoever you, uh, your ops manager is and say, look, we checked your schedule. You got an opening on Thursday from 2 to 8 p.m. Uh, we, we got a job scheduled, contract signed, documents paid, all this. Please send a crew there then. Then it, it ups by 25%. We moved to 75, 25% profit split. However, um, if you decide to continue running business the way we have been, where you you still manage everything, you still close everything, you still schedule everything, then it, uh, it moves in your favor by 5%, so 85, 15% profit split. Nice. And right now, you're just primarily roofing and solar currently, right? Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll sit down, depending on what type of home service based company it is. At the end of the day, what we've done moving forward with uh, roofing and solar is chosen the choices 
based on what lifetime value of these uh, potential clients are, because I want this to be successful for you. But like you said, it's not cheap and it's going to take a lot of labor on our end to get this entire program set up. So I wanted to find businesses that had good enough lifetime value and average cart values to make it make sense for you. Because at the end of the day, all I got to do is close one deal a month for most of these clients and they're already in the green. So we do have access to working this with other home service-based companies. You just got to make sure that you can afford that $10,000 a month for six months. Yeah. And obviously most of the guys can afford it. And especially if it's going to give them a return, right? Like for me, if you, if we get in front of one of those customers, you know, obviously our, you know, average, our average systems, 20,000, we're making, you know, probably 12,000 in gross profit. Right. That's one deal in a, for us in six months for, for most companies, some guys, obviously, you know, just like anything else, right. Even as a marketing company, or whatever you're doing, you got to pick and choose your clients too, because yes. some, not everybody, not everybody's going to be a client. Not everybody's going to be able to, to do this, but if someone really is like, Hey man, I want to invest. I want to do some, some badass. I mean, it sounds like to me, it sounds like a no brainer. Um, you know, obviously I, I'm probably going to be interested when we get off this podcast <laughs> conversation. Cause I, I like, I like trying shit. I like making money. And I like it. Obviously like trying to, trying to do things that my competitors aren't doing. I like to win. Yes. So, so you got this ROI marketing. You started this, you said three years ago, right? So three years ago, you, so this is your first business that you've owned personally? Um, so technically like a real legitimate company. I started like, you know, most of us have like a clothing line uh, and it, it went pretty well. <laughs> uh, I had a clothing line that did pretty well, but I was young, young, young. You know, I was 17 to, well, no, I lied. Uh, I was 18 to 22 Ended up having a really bad motorcycle wreck and basically bankrupted the company uh, to kind of keep me financially afloat. And um, I haven't revisited it yet, but as far as like actually owning a company, running a company, paying real legitimate taxes, having employees and stuff like that. Yes, this is my first. Oh, so it sounds like you started at a pretty shitty time then. So can I go back three years? That's like right before COVID. You want to talk a little bit about that starting a business during that time? Yeah, uh, so it was pretty interesting. So I walked away from corporate America, like I said, and I was doing good as, you know, as you could consider. Um, I was making, you know, about 140, 140, 150 grand a year in corporate America and then walked away from from that almost cold turkey because I had a six week old baby and I was sick and tired of watching my six week old baby grow up through this. And I was, I was like, dude, there's no amount of money that's going to make me miss her first steps, her first words, all this. And I said, I don't give a shit what we got to do. Um, I was somewhat financially smart at the time and we didn't have a whole lot of bills. I think my, my monthly bills were like maybe, maybe $3,000 a month. Um, so I went to my wife and I was like, it, I, we got to do this. And she had my back. I had to literally sit there in that moment, look my wife in my eyes and my daughter in her face and be like, I'm going to do whatever I can to do this. And, um, you know, my whole goal of year one, first time ever, like I said, running a real legitimate business, I planned on running off a bunch of IOUs and stuff like that, cashing in some favors. And all I wanted to do is make our pay our bills and be able to spend time with my girls. And um, year one, we did it in the beginning of the pandemic, we did 361 grand and I put $147,000 into my own personal uh, pocket and it's been nothing but exploded ever since. That's freaking badass. So, you know, obviously when the, when the, the pandemic hit or, you know, whatever you guys want to bullshit hit in 2020, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, most people pulled back, right? A lot of contractors and when it first happened, they pulled back on their marketing, they pulled back on everything. Cause I was, you know, just like anybody else, my business was pretty new too at that point. And we didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. Cause I, I remember in March 1st, March 1st, 2020, I went and took I want to say $70,000 and put it into radio campaigns and all this shit. And all of a sudden by March, like fucking 20th, the whole country shut down and all that money I spent on fucking all the radio ads went to nothing. Like my phones were not ringing and I gambled the last little bit of money I had left. Like that was it. Like we got nothing else. Like, and I'm like, Oh fuck, what's going to happen. And at that point I started pulling back on everything and I'm fighting my marketing company. Like, Hey, I'll, I'll pay you next month. I'll pay you. So like, how did that, how did that go about obviously, you know, people, probably trying to skimp on payment, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, this is why I'm, I'm like actually getting goosebumps, like thinking about it, just like looking back on like, bro, this was a fucking dog eat dog world, uh, at that time, because you had 
bro, I can't tell you. Like, I had to sit on the phone with some people. And, like, my heart goes out to business owners. You know, you had some people who are three and four generations in who lost their great granddaddy's business at no fault of their own, crying because they can't even afford to run marketing, but know that they need marketing to be able to continue growing. Anyways, um, so I ended up striking a lot of equity deals and knowing that I know I'm good at what I got to do. You just have to trust me a little bit. And the, the biggest barrier, so like when I first started getting into quote unquote digital marketing, even in corporate America, where I was having to go to these board members and fight with them and say, look, we need digital marketing. We need this type of marketing. It was like, oh, we don't know if that's going to work. We don't know if that's going to work. We don't know if that's going to work. Fast forward to when I was opening my own company, not thinking about how the world's evolved, me being you know, my own service provider at this point in time instead of an employee, my, my biggest confrontation wasn't, hey, you need digital marketing. It was, hey, I'm not like the other guys. Hey, like you're yeah. not going to waste your money here. Um, so I had to get past that, that wall and I kept going back to like, what's my million dollar offer? What's my purple cow? What's my one thing that I can offer these people to get my foot in the door? Cause I know I'm good at what I do. How do I prove it to them? And yeah. I had to strike equity deals. So here I am, luckily, like I said, we didn't have a whole lot of bills, but I still had to provide here. I am looking at my wife and daughter be like, yo, I landed a new client. Cool. How much are they going to pay us? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like shit, bro. So like, that's when I had to get real intentional and dude, um, well, I mean, just look at that, man. You'd like, you know, if you guys are listening, this dude literally believed in himself so fucking much that he was willing to work for free because of how much he believed in his results. How many of you guys are willing to do that? You know, I talk to contractors all the time and they're like, I need more capital for my business and I need this. How much of your fucking own money are you putting into your business? Because if you won't put money in your fucking business, do you really think anybody else is going to believe in your business? So for what you did, I mean, that's that's pretty – first off, it takes a big pair of balls. So it takes a big pair of the balls to do that, but it also takes an unwavering belief in what you're offering. So obviously I just want to kind of just touch on that because that's that's powerful for those out there. If you wouldn't take your own money and put it into your business – then you, you, you ain't got something you're proud of it. And he took, he took his own money, his time and energy and went and said, I'm going to go do this for fucking free because I know I'm going to get results. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I, I got goosebumps. Like I said, I don't think I've ever told this story like this on a podcast. So it was just, um, it, it was crazy, man. Doubling down on yourself and going back to something we had talked about earlier. And even going back to the dudes that are out here having a door knock, the beautiful thing I love about entrepreneurship, and I, I tell this to my head of sales all the time, is we make what we want. We literally can, if you are, and you going back to, you know, tracking your results, right? Like what gets tra what gets measured gets managed. Um, when you start learning to track your data, I can literally fucking tell you right now, my head of sales, if I want to make an extra $100,000 this month, in the month of September, if I want to make an extra hundred grand, an extra, I know exactly how many more phone calls my head of sales needs to make because I know what his close rate is. I know how many he has room for. I know what our profit margins are. I know what our percentage is and I know what my take home is. I know all my numbers. So for me, when it came to, to working for these other companies, no, uh, as our clients, knowing that whatever I eat, I kill or, or whatever I kill, I eat and what percentage I take home. Bro, I had two, one client, one of our very first clients took him from an average of a million dollars a year to three and a half million uh, within 12 months, gave him all of his time back. I literally removed him from his company other than just content creation, tripled his income, and then gave him all his time back. One of our other clients, I took them, they had averaged $42,000 a year annually for the past three or four years that could not get over that signed with them an equity deal within nine months took them over half a million dollars with zero paid ads it's just you bro i love what i do and there's i see where there's room for improvement i come in and i fix it and then from that point on bro like you i hope you're gonna have a smile on your face when you pay me but you're gonna pay me a lot of money but you're gonna be happy doing it it, and that's been that's powerful in itself so you know obviously you came out of the came out of the COVID situation 
And then now, you know, obviously we are talking off air about this and everybody's talking about recession, right? And and I was sitting at a dinner last night. I'm with, I'm with Bradley. I'm with uh, this guy, Tom Howard, uh, Brent. And these guys are all guys that are, that are in my industry that are doing really big things. And, and every one of them are like, dude, I don't know what the fuck anybody's talking about recession. I got one guy smoking $1,000 cigars. He's like, I smoke two of them fucking things a day. Other guy just spent, you know, bought a Rolex. All these, I'm like, he's like, you can't even go, you can't find a Rolex anywhere. You can't find a fucking Lamborghini. You can't like... There's money being fucking spent and everybody's talking about recession. And it sounds like some people need to shut their fucking TV off uh, and start getting been paying attention to working. But, you know, what are you seeing out there? Obviously in trends, obviously in the marketing space, you know, you know, I, I saw one, I was looking at some the other day that the, one of the top Google terms right now, or one of the top three Google things is, is bank, how to file bankruptcy and how to get a, a home equity line of credit. So those are two things that usually happen before a recession. So, Obviously, there's two. I feel like there's two different people. Like there's the there's the haves and the have-nots, and there's like there's like no in between right now because my friends are all like, dude, buying more shit, getting excited about this, everything going on. And then there's the other side of it. Are you seeing any slowdown in the marketing trends or anything like that? Uh, so it's definitely a shift. So as of right now, like in the last since COVID, people have been freed up. People have had a little bit of extra time and also people have gotten free money in the last few years. And so what I've seen happen, especially on the digital side of things, as people think now that one of the ways they can save costs is by doing their own marketing. So we're seeing a massive wave and influx of people on their doing their own social media marketing, their own social media management and stuff like that. This causes two things. This causes an, a way, way, way like overflow of just add, 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 add. I mean, you're talking about in a given day, you're seeing 20 to 40,000 ads. Now that's different. That's social media. That's Google. That's billboards. That's when you, us guys can't even go to the urinal and take a piss without an, a, literally a piece of paper staring us in the face. If not, I don't know if you've seen this new shit, the digital ones that change, you know, there's, we're being constantly being advertised to what this has done is this has removed the opportunity for dopamine releases on specific ads with specific hooks and calls to action. So what now is happening is what I love is because I actually call myself a marketer. I'm not a digital marketing business owner. I'm not a marketing guru, this, that, whatever. And I'm not a Facebook specialist. I am a marketing, I call myself a marketing badass, but I'm a marketing badass. This, this encompasses all things. So what's happened is the same thing that happened. I saw this happen during the election. This was my first time that I was running ads, paid ads on social media during an election. Everyone's ads tanked. And that's because oh, things yeah. are happening. Uh, and Go ahead. Cost per lead. The cost per lead for in my industry went up dramatically, almost doubled. Yep. And that we saw this everywhere. And what this taught me was to pay attention to market trends, things like that. So with this recession, we started pulling back on any outbound social media marketing advertisements. What we then started doing was utilizing more retargeting. And it's something beautiful that you talked about earlier on the air was just increasing lifetime value through your current customers. So what we started using was strategies on building out strong strong referral programs and then utilizing your current customers people know that they do business with people they know like and trust your customers already know like and trust you because they've already given you your wallet well guess what all of those customers have other people that know like and trust them so we started developing these uh referral programs and then using your digital advertisements to simply retarget back to them. And then that's where the difference is from all these cold leads that you're seeing or cold ads that you're seeing. Those cold ads are dead. All right. You have to have a strategy and have some sort of retargeting. You have to have a purpose to talk to them. If you're just out here trying to blast. And that's why we started moving from the strategy for these people. Here's some free game for y'all that are listening. That's why we moved past, Hey, Baton Rouge, we're your number one roofing contractor. No, 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 That's bloody water. Hey, Sherwood Forest, we are your local community specialist. We start removing that, like, oh, cool, Baton Rouge this, Baton Rouge this, Frisco, Texas this, Dallas, Texas this, Las Vegas this. No, 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 We're talking specifically to them, and we're now catching their attention because now they're like, all right, cool, this person actually is talking to me, not just trying to blast me with a bunch of advertisements. So, yeah, there's 
100% there's a, a downward trend if you're running any type of cold advertising anywhere without a specific strategy based on it. So you heard it here first. If you guys aren't retargeting your customers and you aren't using your data right now, you're going to be the ones fighting. You're going to be running uphill while everybody else is, you know, is obviously eating. And I know that's one thing that's big with my business is retargeting, stick, you know, staying in constant contact, getting in front of those customers, selling memberships, obviously, because you want to keep having that recurring revenue coming in. Those people keep doing business with us. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, why do you, you know, I think we sell a lot of memberships and I always look at it like this. So for the home service and HVAC and plumbing, you want to sell these service contracts. Cause it's like, I always tell people it's like this. If you have a Costco membership, you're not going to fucking Sam's club, right? You're not, you're just not gonna go there. And if you have a gym membership, you ain't going to a different fucking gym. You're going to go to the gym that you're used to going to. And the same thing happens with those memberships. So if you guys aren't selling those consistently, you're going to have a hard time because you're going to consistently trying to having to bring in new customers, try to get in front of new people. Where for me, we've sold, you know, almost 400 memberships just this month. Wow. That's 400. That's 400 people that are going to do business with us again, probably two more times a year, every single year for however long, right? So now that's how many over the over the course of this year, we're already almost at 2000 new uh, memberships, 2000 mm. memberships is a lot of fucking calls to go run, but that's a lot of customers are going to keep doing business with it. But if they bought a membership, the likelihood of them referring you to other people is very high. That means they trusted you enough to sign up to want to have you in their house two times a year. So if you guys aren't focusing on that membership, like I, my guys will go say, Hey, uh, I just sold a $20,000 system. My next question is, did you sell the membership? Right. And people, most people are like, what do you mean? Like, I would much rather have that membership to have that customer retarget them and have that LTV yeah. of that customer than a, a $20,000 shot in the arm like heroin. Like, it's a heroin shot in the <laughs> arm. You got to sale today, but you didn't create a long term customer. You didn't create that, that, that long term, uh, you know, long term gratification of having that customer. So that is very important. So if you guys are not focusing on that, make sure to focus on it. Uh, Zach, we are uh, running out of time here. Is there anything else you wanted to really get out to the people before, uh, before we jump off? Oh, man, I just wanted to touch on that really, really fast is everything you want to talk about upward, upward, you know, swings, all the winners are moving to subscription models. And that's you creating a legacy, not just for yourself, but for your kids. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity there and in increasing that lifetime value. I, I can't I can't hit on that enough that y'all a lot of industry people are focusing on acquiring new customers rather than keeping and extending the value of their current customers. And that's eight times easier to do than locating a new customer. So that's all I wanted to touch on on that. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming on, obviously, to the podcast. It was a pleasure meeting you in person. I'm excited. Hopefully, I'll see you out in October at the Service Rocket Growth Summit. Uh, if you guys haven't got your tickets yet, make sure to get signed up at servicerocketnetwork.com. Zach, it was my pleasure having you on. If you guys, uh, anybody wants to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. On all social medias, you can find me at Zach ROI Williams. So that's Z A C K R O I Williams. And uh, check me out at Zach ROI Williams.com. That'll have all my contact information. Awesome, man. Zach, pleasure to pleasure talking to you. Pleasure meeting you. And then obviously we'll, we're going to have to talk offline to see what we can do uh, working over at Absolute Airflow and my other locations, brother. Sounds good, brother. We'll talk soon. See ya.